Chapter Six of Stories of the Royal Humane Society by Frank Mundell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Heroine of Longstone. At the present day, the performance of a gallant rescue by a woman causes no unusual excitement. Time has taught us that there are brave women as well as fearless men. About sixty years ago, the case was very different, and when one September morning the news came that some shipwrecked persons had been saved from destruction by the energy and pluck of a girl, the whole country went wild with excitement. Who was the heroine? The coast of Northumberland is one of the most dangerous parts of our shores. There the sea rushes with tremendous violence among the Farne Islands, on one of which, called the Longstone, stands a lighthouse. William Howitt, who visited this island, said, It was like the rest of these desolate isles, all of dark windstone, cracked in every direction, and worn with the action of winds, waves, and tempests since the world began. On the greatest part of it, there was not a blade of grass or a grain of earth, but bare and iron-like stone, crusted round the coast as far as high-water mark, with limpet and still smaller shells. We ascended wrinkled hills of black stone, and descended into worn and dismal dells of the same, into some of which, when the tide got entrance, it came pouring and roaring in raging whiteness, churning the loose fragments of the windstone into round pebbles. Over our heads screamed hundreds of hovering birds, the gull mingling his laughter most wildly. On this desolate spot lived William Darling, the keeper of the lighthouse, with his wife and his daughter Grace. While her father trimmed the lamps and attended to his other duties, she assisted her mother in the housework. Having but little intercourse with the mainland, she knew comparatively nothing of what went on in the world, but for all that she was content and happy. Thus, unknowing and unknown, she lived till her twenty-third year, when an incident happened which made her name a household word wherever the English language is spoken. On the night of the 5th of September, 1838, a terrible storm was raging. The fury of the waves seemed to shake the lighthouse to its very foundations. Accustomed as Grace was to nature in her angriest moods, the violence of the tempest made a great impression on her mind, and, before retiring for the night, she expressed to her father a hope that if any mariners were near the coast, they would see the light in time to avoid shipwreck. Meanwhile, a steamer named the Forfarshire was on her way from Hull to Dundee. She had on board a valuable cargo of merchandise and 39 passengers, besides a crew of 24 men, 
63 souls all told. When the storm was at its height, a leak showed itself in the boilers of the vessel. It gradually increased till the fires were put out and the engines were rendered useless. To prevent, if possible, the steamer from becoming totally unmanageable, sails were hoisted, but to no purpose. At the mercy of the winds and waves, she drifted hither and thither. To make matters worse, a thick fog came on, accompanied by blinding showers of rain. Suddenly the mist lifted, and, to the horror of all on board, the long stone light was seen. The captain made a desperate effort to steer his ship clear of the rocks, but it was too late, and in a few minutes the bow of the forefarshire struck and remained fast on a steep and narrow ledge of rock. A terrible panic followed. Some rushed to the boats, and nine persons succeeded in getting clear of the wreck. Others sought safety in various parts of the ship. In a short time, a tremendous wave lifted the stern of the vessel and dashed it down on the sharp-edged rock, literally cutting the forefarshire in two. The stern was swept away, and with it every soul who had taken refuge in that part of the vessel. The nine survivors, who clung to the bow, set up a pitiful cry of terror when they saw what had happened, and gave themselves up for lost. Just at that moment, Grace Darling was roused from sleep. Above the howling of the wind and the roaring of the sea came that awful shriek of agony. She sprang to her feet and peered anxiously through the gloom, but was unable to see anything. Going to her father, she told him that she feared some disaster had happened. As the dawn brightened, her fears were realised. By the aid of his glass, Darling saw the wreck about a mile distant. A few figures could also be made out, clinging to the sides. Grace urged her father to attempt a rescue, but to her surprise, he said it was impossible. He was the only man in the lighthouse, and his unaided strength was not equal to managing a boat in such a sea. Father, replied Grace, we must not let them perish. I will go in the boat with you, and God will give us success. In vain her father urged every objection, and explained to her the dangers which would be encountered. Grace persisted that a rescue must be attempted. Yielding at last, though sorely against his better judgment, Darling made ready the boat. But Mrs. Darling, fearing the loss of her husband and child, begged them to remain in safety. Grace, however, overcame her fears and persuaded her to help them in launching. Just as they set out, her courage again failed her, and she said, Oh, Grace, if your father be lost, I'll blame you for this morning's work. Away went father and daughter on their errand of mercy, 
The wind had fallen, but the sea was still rough. At one moment the little boat was high on the crest of a wave. At the next it had sunk down into a valley of water which threatened to engulf it. Soon the cry of anguish from the wreck was changed to a shout of joy when the boat was seen approaching. At length the rock was reached, and by a desperate effort William Darling sprang ashore, leaving Grace alone in the boat. To prevent it from being dashed to pieces, she rowed back into the seething waters, and waited until her father could arrange with the survivors some means of getting into the boat. Had her courage or skill deserted her for an instant, her life would have paid the forfeit of her humanity. After a time, her father signalled to her to come nearer, and one by one the survivors, half dead with terror and exposure, were transferred to the boat and taken in safety to the lighthouse. Then the same hand which had been the means of saving them attended to their wants for three days, when a boat was sent from the mainland to take them off. In the words of a writer of that day, it is impossible to speak in adequate terms of the bravery shown on that occasion by Mr. Darling and his truly heroic daughter. Seldom, if ever before, had so grand a display of courage been shown by a woman, and, as we have already said, it stirred every heart. Congratulations flowed from rich and poor, from the Queen to the humblest toiler for his daily bread. All ranks and classes were proud that such a deed had been performed by an Englishwoman. As an acknowledgment of her gallantry, a public subscription was raised, and the sum of £700 was presented to her. The Royal Humane Society, which can surely be credited with having taken a calm and business-like view of the case, also awarded gold medals to Grace and her father. Four years later, death claimed her for his own, and she was laid to rest in the ancient churchyard of Bamborough, where several years later a monument was erected over her grave. But no memorial was needed, for her courageous act will keep her memory green as long as men and women continue to love what is noble and true. Lonely and bleak, mid the seas that sunder, their flowerless crags from the green north land, her islands shake to the surge and thunder of white waves racing to reach the strand. Lonely and bare, but above them lightens the memory fair of a shining deed, and a spirit presence the wild waste brightens, since love went forth at the cry of need. Oft as the night of that drear September broods again over sea and shore, still shall our hearts with pride remember how through the storm swift help she bore. Still shall we see, in fancy's vision, 
the brave little skiff from the lighthouse go and clad in the strength of love's decision the girlish form to the oar bend low still shall we see in the dim grey dawning the drifting ship on the reef flung high round her the hungry ocean yawning over her stretched the hopeless sky rings again through the wind spray flying the moan of terror the shriek of fear laugh the breakers as if replying with savage mirth to the cries they hear out on the rocks they crouch and shiver the hapless few that have scaped the wave scanning the waters with lips a-quiver praying that god would send and save see bright hope in their faces springing lips are loosened a cheer rings out plunging tossing a boat comes bringing life for perishing joy for doubt over the white crowned surges leaping hither through blinding foam she wins still for the rock her course she's keeping still the spume from the oar-blade spins save they crowd to the boat's frail shelter eager helpers replacing now the hands that drove through the sea's wild welter with love-born ardour the tossing prow how can we speak her praise or fashion a tribute worthy the deathless deed nay that story of bold compassion no memorial words shall need for far and wide girl hearts inherit her daring love and in danger's hour shines out in a hundred deeds the spirit of that sweet maid of the lighthouse tower by horace g grocer End of chapter 6